Mr. Blake comes so quietly I don't hear him entering the room, but when I look up, he is sitting in his familiar place, and his face is full of light. Even his black coat, that in truth has seen better days, seems burnished and sheened, no longer with wear, but instead by something to which I can't give a name. He calls me his sweet rose and his good angel. And when he lifts his hands in customary animation, I see for the first time in all the long years of our life together that his fingers have no stain or smudge of ink. Do you no longer work? I ask, barely able to believe it might be so. All my work is finished, Kate, and I am free and finally known. So everything I've put my hand to and everything done with your help now sits in blessed triumph. It's more than could be hoped for, I tell him as I savor the sweetness of his words. All the difficulties of the old life have fallen away. The man who was once a slave, bound in a mill amongst beasts and devils, has been set free from his fetters, he says, as he wipes what could be a tear from his eye, but which might only be a tremble of the light. I want him to come to me, for the first time touch me with hands that have no trace of ink. But he stays in his seat, and he's looking at me as if he's trying to remember something, his mind momentarily fogged, until with a shake of his head, it's free again. But you, Kate, how is it with you? He asks. And although he doesn't come to me, I see once more the love written bright on his face that he has always borne me, and I tell him I am a little solitary, but that I try to keep busy and fight despondency as best I can. From the street below, there pipes up the voices of children playing, and he goes to the window and, holding his hand on the glass above his head, just the way he always does, surveys the scene below and says, This, too, is heaven. The light from the window seems to shine through him as he turns again to look at me. So at first I have to blink my eyes until he resumes his seat. When he moves away, the sudden stream of sunlight is full of dust's dance, the motes rising and falling like the notes of a silent song. His fingers have left no print on the glass. It's good your labors have ended, Will, I tell him because I don't think these hands would allow me to be your helpmate, or color as fine as they once did. And I hold up my hands, stiffened with their rheumatism, and which, in my eyes at least, have started to look like claws. Kate, my Kate, he says as he comes to me at last, and the coldness of his hands eases away some of the heated pain. So many years you've labored with me. Your faithfulness deserves its own rest. When will I come to you? I ask. Soon, soon. Everything is almost ready. I nod, but am impatient to see his words come true, and whatever the reason for the delay, its purpose eludes my understanding. He turns his head briefly again to the window as a street hawker's cry rings out. And how goes it with money? he asks as he resumes his seat. Making ends meet as best I can.
I feel the sudden urge to tell him about the secret guinea I kept hidden all our marriage against the day it might be called upon, but stop myself. Mr. Blake is not always wise in the ways of the world or its money, so even now if he were to ask me for it, I would have to deny him, because the day when it's needed may still yet come. Listen, Kate, to what you must do. Take what's left of my collection of old prints to Colnaghi and company, and try to get the best price you can. Ask good money for the Dürer, the one above the engraving table. Demand to see the father, not the son, because the younger is a rogue who'll cheat you and tell you the prints are of little value. As a man is, so he sees, and when he views these, he'll let profit blind him to their worth.'